The Rangers put a beat down on the Islanders Monday. New York Post sports writer Molly Walker makes her debut on the show to preview part two this week of the Rangers-Islanders rivalry. The Post, Larry Brooks, drops by in his weekly spot to discuss a crowded goalie position and where the blue shirts stand in the playoff race. We're also joined by Islanders legend, former Ranger coach, Brian Trottier. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats Podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review while you're at it. Post-Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks and former Rangers head coach and Islanders legend, one of the 100 greatest players in NHL history, Brian Trottier, joins the show today. We also have New York Post sports writer Molly Walker in studio making her debut on the pod today. But now, here's your host of Up in the Blue Seats. He wore number 10 with the Rangers, but his hair was flowing like he was number one. Ron Duguay. Thank you. Wow, what a week. And it's Islander Ranger. Islander Rangers are back at it. And what a game on Monday night where the Rangers, not knowing what to expect with the Islanders having such a great year, and not a lot of consistency with the Rangers. What's going to come out of this game? Are we going to see a physical game, or is it just going to be a nice game? Well, sure enough, it all went Ranger way. It was a 6-2 win with some fights. And now I'm really looking forward to the future of what these two teams are going to look like. They play again on Thursday, and then next week, the Rylanders, after losing to the Rangers, go play against Detroit, and they clobber Detroit. But with me is Molly Walker. Who's been following the team? And Wally, what did you see out of that game that we think we may see against the Rangers on Thursday with the Islanders? Well, I'll tell you, when Barry Trott started his media scrum on Tuesday morning, he looked right at me and he said, did you sleep better than me last night? Because I think you slept better than me last night. He was not happy after that Monday night game, and the team knew it. He was not going to expect anything less than an 8-2 to two victory that night. And the team came out, and they delivered. So I would expect the Islanders to come out with the exact same energy that they did on Tuesday because they were, they're not going to accept another embarrassing loss like that to the Rangers. Now, Molly, why don't you share with us your background, your hockey, your passion for the game? Where does this all come from? <laughs> well, I actually have you to thank for my love of hockey. My mom is a huge, huge Ranger fan, and she actually initially got into the sport because of you. She was a huge fan of you, had your poster in her room and the whole nine yards, and she actually met you at a ton of meet and greets throughout the years, and she actually met you once, 101, at uh, one of the Rangers fan club dinners dance during the 82-83 season. Oh, no. <laughs> you pro- <laughs> yeah, you, pro- you probably don't remember, but uh, she actually asked you for a kiss, and uh, to her disappointment, you... Uh, handed out your cheek, <laughs> and she uh, was a little disappointed with not getting the kiss, so she turned around and she uh, got a, got asked by Barry Beck to have a nice little dance, and from then on, Barry Beck always had a little crush on my mom. <laughs> oh, wow, so I refused the kiss? Wow, I must have been behaving. <laughs> hey, listen, so where's your, where's your mom now? Uh, she's at home. You know, it'd be fun. Can we... Can, 
can you give her a call? I'd love to speak to her right now. Can we do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she might freak out, but let's do it. <laughs> Hello? Wendy? Yes? Hi, it's me. Who's me? Number 10. <laughs> I'm very, very excited to talk to you. <laughs> Oh, so you know number 10. Yeah, so we're in studio right now, and I'm talking with your daughter, Molly, and she shared a story about you and I. It must have been at a fan fest or a um, fan party or dinner, and you weren't shy about coming up to me? It was the fan club dinner dance back in the 80s. Okay, and tell me more. <laughs> Um, well, they gave you options of whose table you would like to sit at. So they gave you three choices. And I wrote Rondi Gay, Rondi Gay, Rondi Gay. So those were my choices. <laughs> did you re did you request anything from me? I did. You were you were very kind to sign all of I used to keep pictures of you in my wallet. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm like 50 something years old now. <laughs> Was there anything else that you requested? I did. I requested a kiss. I did. <laughs> How old were you then? Um, I was pretending to be 21 because you had to be 21, but I was really um, probably 17, which you probably knew because <laughs> I showed you my wallet with all your pictures in my wallet <laughs> alongside of all my high school friends. So you probably knew how old I was. <laughs> did you have my poster on your wall? I did. I did. Several of them. <laughs> did you pass it down to Molly? I did not. Unfortunately, Molly, <laughs> Molly is a new Ranger fan. Well, I appreciate the fact that uh, we're working together and uh, she's going to be following the Rangers. And so we're going to interact that way. But I love the story and it brings back a lot of fond memories because back then we did have a lot of fun and we were able to interact with the fans a lot closer. We were allowed to receive a kiss on the cheek. Now you're not allowed to receive a chick kiss on the cheek. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you said something to me like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not supposed to kiss everybody here. I'd be kissing everybody here some something like that. And I was, um, I was I was very disappointed, as you can imagine, because I used to go to the used to appear at malls and used used to do all of that. You were great. I appreciate you as a as a classic ranger who interacts and does all the fan stuff and and makes yourself available and accessible. And uh, you did even when you were a player. And I went to anything that you appeared at. I was there. So I appreciate all of that as a when you were a player and that you did interact with the people and the the girls that loved you and uh i've never written letters to complain about things other than for ron Duguay. like when you were traded to the to detroit i was devastated i sent sunny warblin a very strongly worded letter several of them <laughs> and then when uh they dismissed you from msg just recently i sent several very nasty letters to msg and i think that they did a huge disservice to the uh post game not having you on because I think that you're an, a, a very aside from the fact that I love you as a human being as a player I think you're an excellent analyst and I think that they're missing that on the on the games now and that you are sorely missed 
I'm not the only one that thinks that. Very, a lot of people that I know think that. Mom, coming in with a hot take. <laughs> yeah, well, just my opinion. But I'm a little biased, I admit that, but... So thank you for all the many years of pleasure. Yeah. Wendy, I appreciate all the kind words. And I look forward to one time when Mala and I are going to work in the studio, do a show together, that you come in and visit and come and say hi. Will you do that sometime? Oh, absolutely. Anytime you just let me know, I will take the day off of work and I will be there. And I promise not to ask you to kiss me. <laughs> all right. Well, good, good talking with you. You too. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Surprise, Ma. (laughs) My mom just texted me, OMG, in all capital letters. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I enjoy talking to your mom. And please, I'm serious when I say bring her in because I'd love to uh, meet with her, talk with her. And uh, I love kind of going back to the 70s and 80s because it was a different time. So please bring her in. Oh, now that you said that, she's definitely going to take you up on that, I promise. (laughs) Okay. Now, getting back to Rangers and Ranger hockey, the Rangers are still competing, looking to try to make the playoffs with only six points out. They play Columbus this week, and and then, of course, they play the Islanders. So let's stay tuned. Let's now get into everything Blue Shirts with our Hockey Hall of Fame beat writer. Welcome back. We have Rangers beat writer from the New York Post, Larry Brooks, now joins us. You can follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Read his stories in the post and at newyorkpost.com. Larry, welcome. And we got lots to cover. The one thing that uh, I think is on everyone's mind, uh, because it's been the last couple of weeks, is goaltending, the three goaltending system. Um, You being on the inside, what are you feeling? What are you sensing over there? Because it uh, it can be uncomfortable with certain goaltenders having to rotate through three. Yeah, I'm I'm sensing that they are going to try and get three through these next three games until their break, and then sort it out during the uh, during the All Star and bye week. Um, they've got three. I, I Gorgiev is playing uh, against the Islanders at the Coliseum. I would assume kind of Shesterkin would go on Sunday against Columbus. I could be wrong, but I think he's going to get another game, and then they play the Islanders again So uh, next Tuesday. And if, if the Islander and if, if Georgiev plays well at the Coliseum, he may go back in again. So um, there are a lot of issues here. Um, I still think the likelihood is that Georgiev will be traded, but I, 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 I don't know that I'd be willing to put my own money on that either. Okay, well, have you say that, uh, I think I read today, and it may just be a rumor, but apparently Colorado is looking for a good goaltender, and the name Lundqvist came up. Is that possible? It's a possibility, I suppose, that Colorado could inquire. Um, I'm not sure that I, there has been no contact between the Avalanche front office and the Rangers at this point. Um, what would Lundqvist do if Colorado um, made an offer? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. And I, and I don't think he knows at this point. I think that at some point, and I think it's going to have to come during the break or as soon as the Rangers reassemble after the break, there is going to have to be a plan laid out to the three guys, I think. Um, and certainly to Lundqvist. I, I think they're going to have to let him know what their plan is so that he has as much information as possible to make a decision. Whether Colorado comes after him, I don't know. You know, Colorado 
could go after Carey Price, who obviously has a, a much longer time remaining on his contract. It's a tough one to pick up. Um, they could look elsewhere. I'm not sure. I mean, that I, I read the piece in Denver Post. It makes some sense. But that was speculation, and speculation is something I know a lot about. <laughs> when you look at what Shesterkin has done in the couple, handful of starts that he's had here, do you feel like he's done anything dazzling, though, to, you know, edge out Georgie in any way? I think they have a lot. I think Shesterkin, to a large degree, is a contract issue. Um, I think Shesterkin is, in their minds, their number one goaltender going forward. Um, so I don't see them returning him to Hartford this year. I could be wrong. Again, I don't think they know. So um, I, you know, I, I honestly don't know. No one knows what they're going to do. I think Shesterkin was impressive enough in his, in his two starts to demand more ice time. At whose expense that comes, I don't know. I think a lot of it's going to come at Lundquist's. I think Henrik is probably preparing for that. But again, this, this is a major life decision for Lundquist as far as a major career decision if if a choice is presented to him. And, and again, I, I just don't know what he'll do. And I think he has every, you know, every right, whatever he decides to do. He's got a contract. He's got a no-move clause. The Rangers gave it to him for a reason. He's, you know, he's not being selfish if he decides not to move. So there, there are just so many balls in the air right now. I'm, uh, you know, I'm juggling them, but I'm juggling them with a blindfold on. At least, hopefully, the Ranger front office has eyes wide open. Larry, uh, you've been through, as I have, the great rivalry between the Islanders and the Rangers in the 70s and the 80s. Are you seeing any signs right now that that could possibly come back? You look at the last game where the Rangers did a pretty good beatdown on the Islanders, and now they're going to play each other again another couple uh, games. Are you seeing any signs that we could start seeing a good rivalry between these two teams? I think, A, it's important that teams be on a somewhat uh, even level to, to, to have that kind of a rivalry. Um, the Rangers are, are getting there. I'm not sure. Um, I also think that, that this week is, or, you know, they play three times within nine days. So that's, you know, that's a Petri dish for, for rivalry. Then they play one more time the rest of the year. So where's the rivalry going? You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I certainly prefer a schedule in which divisional rivals play each other at a minimum of six times. The league is too big, I guess, to play seven or eight. But but I'm a six, I'm a I'm a six guy season series person in in division. I think it's I think it's uh, I think playing four makes no sense. They hadn't played until this week. They're playing three times and they play one more time. So um, yes, I think I think the game at the Coliseum um, could sound like the '70s and '80s. Uh, uh, depending on how the game goes, you you know it's 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 never going to be the same kind of mayhem as there was back there. But I'm sure everyone is looking forward to this game at the Coliseum, and I think back at the Garden next week, it'll be the same kind of thing. But um, it would be nice if you could get a playoff series between the two teams. They haven't had one in since '94, um, so I, there's a lot that goes into it, and I, I think a lot of players coming into it. Um, it need it, it, it. You have to. You need to experience it before it becomes something real. And these guys have only been in one time. Most most of the Ranger players have played the Islanders once in their lives. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, a Ranger that's having a breakout season. That's Tony D'Angelo. 
How would you assess his game from the time he came to the Rangers to where he's at now? And how has coaching affected his game? I think he's a little more mature player on the ice, the way he controls his emotions. I think he's emotionally a more, uh, uh, a more mature player. Um, he has always believed in himself. He has always had a lot of confidence. I think, though, the, the, the way the Rangers structure the system is um, that um, defensemen are encouraged to join the rush and encouraged to get involved in the offense. And the way the league is right now, where, where you have defensemen, where basically the offensive zone is a four- and five-man attack, um, I think it, it, it suits his game perfectly. Um, I, I think the Rangers would like him to be a, a little less selective in the defensive zone when he engages. I, I think he uh, th- there's a lot there for him to improve upon, but he is having a dynamic offensive season. I mean, he, he is having a, a legitimately big-time uh, season from the back end, and, and he, is a, he is becoming a significant asset in the way they play the game. He skates, he has great vision, shoots the puck. You know, when he shoots, he's got a pretty good shot. Um, he's got the whole package as an offensive defenseman. So if he can improve on his defense, if he can, if he can improve his positioning, if he can um, be a little more uh, uh, difficult to play against in one-on-ones and in front, then they have a big-time guy back there who right now is on, I think, what you would call their third pair, although uh, some nights, obviously, it's their second pair. Yeah, I'm going to add to that, and I love his compete level. He, he gets dirty, and he's a little guy, but he's feisty, and he plays hard, and he provides some good leadership. So, anyways, we're going to leave it there. Larry, it's always good talking with you. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Ronnie. Number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. I belong here. The way I dressed was different. I had the big 80s hair, and I probably became more popular a few years ago with doing television than I was as a player. Walked the streets, and people recognized me. It's that time of the show where Ron Duguay tells you a story from his past, and Ron remembers. You've heard the likes of his meeting with Cher. Last week, you heard Donnie Murdoch putting his hand where he shouldn't. And this week, Ron, I know you have a story about Gordy Howe. So take it away. So my story really starts with an announcement. My announcement is this. Um, I've recently heard that Yarmir Yarger has played hockey in five different decades. That ties in with Gordy Howe. And because I've played through four decades, I think, you know what, I can do this again. I got to look for an opportunity. So I reached out to a friend of mine, Robbie Nichols. He's uh, owner of a team in the EPHL, the Federal Prospects Hockey League in Elmira, New York. I've reached out to him. I said, listen, I would like to come back and play one game. I mean, actually play the game. I don't want to just step on the ice in places. Absolutely. So my goal is now I got 30 days to get in shape, go back and play that one game. And that will tie me with Yarmir Yager and Gordy Howe. Now, when I think of Gordy Howe, I actually had the pleasure of playing against Gordy Howe. Like everyone, it was a wow factor. You step on the ice. It was in Hartford. He was there with his two sons, and so the story goes like this. Him and I, Gordy, end up in the corner with just him and I. His son, Marty, was just off to the right. And I can remember Gordy and I were just kind of uh, shoving each other. Now, before you go in the corner with Gordy, you know that elbows are coming up. So I get my elbows up, and I accidentally clip him in the chin. There's a face-off. Everything's calm and cool. I'm looking at Gordy, and Gordy's staring at me. I'm like, oh, my God. Gordy's staring at me like he wants to hurt me. He kept looking at me. And I'm thinking, okay, something's up. So. Puck drops, 
puck back in the corner, pushing and shoving. Now I'm going, his son Marty's after me. So now him and I are pushing and shoving. We're going up the ice. Everyone's gone up the ice, and Marty and I about to drop the gloves, and out of nowhere, I get this cross-check in the neck. Not in the shoulders, not in the back, in the neck. And I turn around. Who was it? None other than Gordy Howe. He looks at me with this stern look on his face and says, I'm sorry, and just kept skating. And that's a story that a lot of players will tell you. It's either an elbow or a cross-check. Gordy will find a way to get you. Those. That's my story about Gordy Howe and me going back and playing. And my next guest is, yes, a former player, a friend of mine, 18 seasons in the NHL, seven Stanley Cups. Yes, seven Stanley Cups. Four as a player, three as a coach, Pittsburgh, Colorado. Uh, he's among a hundred of the greatest players ever to have played in the National Hockey League. Brian Trottier. Brian, welcome to the show. Ron, it's a pleasure, young man. And I'll tell you, you know, we've we've had some fun over the years, but thank you for that intro. That was awesome. Boom. Booyah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a good part of the show here. We've got off to a good start. Thanks. Yeah. Well, this week it's all about, well, we, we're making it about the Rangers and the Islanders. Uh, the buildup to this week. The other night, Rangers really clobbered the Islanders, which has kind of been different. And so the rivalry is sort of coming back. And for me, I think about you and I and our rivalry back in the 70s. And I remember one game in particular that I just kind of still rubs me the wrong way. And I believe you still have this record in the NHL. And it happened to be against me, the Rangers, and at Madison Square Garden. You got six points in the second period, four goals and two assists. This, in fact, I remember this. It was just before Christmas, December 23, 1978. Do you remember that game, Brian? And what was going on with you? I, I you know what, I, I remember it vividly. I remember every every pass almost. I can't remember yesterday, but that game and things of the past, I don't know why that comes back, but I think those highlights, I think the fact that it was a rivalry game, it was against the Rangers. Yes, it was against, uh, you know, a team that, uh, you know, like played really hard against us. And boom, things were just going right. And it was just kind of going right for me that night. And, you know, and we've all been there where we get on a, on a, on a, a little bit in a mini streak and we ride that as hard as we can because we don't know when it's going to stop. And obviously, you know, you don't, don't want to take the, the foot off the pedal. And uh, it was one of those nights where just everything was just kind of going my way. And I remember like even one face off, I went, you won the faceoff, and I went. I went with uh, you. Won the draw, and I went with the puck. I picked it up on the other side of you, and it's just it, when one of those nights when things go well, you won the draw. <laughs> I got the puck, slid over to Boss. He took a shot. I get a rebound, bang goal, and I, I chuckle. I say, you know, those things happen once in a million, and it's just one of those nights. So yeah, it was a it was a fun night for me. Um, you know, it is always nice when you can kind of like bring home a victory out of that. I, I can remember. You know, you have a good night and your team loses. It's not much fun, but when you have a good night and the team wins, it's bonus. But I think, um, you know, that's that, that's kind of a fun memory for me. Um, I think for for hockey fans and and, and the Islander fans and, and the team, I think it was fun. Not for you guys, but um, you know, I think we have, thank God we have short memories on on losses and long memories on the victories. Yeah, well, that's that's the one place where I. Uh... It's a team sport. We're competing against each other as a line. But for you and I, we went to head on face-offs. And I took a lot of pride in trying to beat one of the greats. And occasionally I would beat you. Uh, but that's where I really focused. I really enjoyed playing against you. But what was it about you and coming at Madison Square Garden? What was it like for you to come there? Was it different to play at the Garden under 
you know, the the uh, the crazy Ranger fans? We, it was. It was very intimidating. It was an intimidating building for a whole bunch of reasons. Like it just had history there. I mean, there was the uh, the fans, the especially the blue seats at the top were always we extremely interesting. I mean, they jumped on Dennis uh, Potvin. They jumped on you know Billy Smith if he bumped somebody or hit somebody by accident going through the crease. And it was just they. I mean, they had their they had their, uh, their their target for the night or or the week or the year. It seemed like, and it just seemed like. Uh, we go in there, and it was just a, a great energy. Uh, they are they are true blue, and when they say true blue Ranger fans, they understand it because they are so loyal. It doesn't matter how you're playing; it always seemed to be a good game against the Islanders going into that building, and we knew it. And uh, people talked about the ice; it wasn't. I thought the ice was fine. You know, it was just the same for both teams. And um, you guys just seem to take advantage of that energy and bring out your best game against us all the time. So yeah, going into that building was. It was intimidating, but it was uh, it was colossal in its history. It was a uh, iconic in the sense that it's it's Madison Square Garden, it's it's the Big Apple, and all that stuff. So, yeah, we had to we 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 knew as a team we got to bring our best game or we're going to get embarrassed. Yeah, was there a feeling where you felt you know here you are, you're a good team, you're a winning team, but you're in Long Island, we're in Mad- we're in Manhattan. We have the garden. You have the Coliseum. I love playing at the Coliseum, by the way, for the same reasons that you're describing. But was there a feeling of feeling inferior to us because we're like Broadway and you're Long Island? We have Studio 54 and you have Billy's Pub on the corner somewhere. Was there a feeling of where you didn't belong? There was. There was. There was the Manhattan side of it that was. Uh... That wasn't that necessarily an inferior feeling. It was almost like uh, one of those things that it just made New York that much bigger. And uh, obviously the attention factor that New York was New York and Long Island was Long Island. And the Long Island fans, believe it or not, Ron, and it was really kind of fun for us because it was kind of a bunch of little little towns put together, all of a sudden made a community, made and they made us feel like we put Long Island on the map and we gave Long Island an, an identity. We're kind of the only professional sports team out there from that standpoint. So like we kind of felt like we weren't like the New York city celebrities, but we were New York celebrities that kind of lived on Long Island and uh, we, we enjoyed it. And I think Bill Torrey and Al Arbor liked it too, because they would always remind us about, Oh, don't get big headed. Don't get this. You know, like your egos run away with you. It was kind of keep kept us down. No, don't get, don't get, don't get, a, you know, too too big of egos, and you can't walk through a door. But um, no, we were proud of uh, Joe's Pub on the bar at the corner. We were we were proud of every little little nook and cranny of Long Island. But we'd sneak into the city every once in a while, and people would go, "Oh, just visiting, you know, not a big deal. We'll be out of here in a couple hours, take a show in or or, or dinner or something." But it was. It was fun having that rivalry because when we did bump into you guys in New York City, it was like water under the bridge. Hey, you know, like, you know, we'll have a great night together, whether we're raising money for a charity or doing some community stuff or going to like uh, the CYO dinners and that kind of stuff. And then boom, get back on the ice. Okay, back to business. Got to <laughs> battle here on the faceoffs again. But that was the professional side of it. We understood it. We loved it. We enjoyed it. Both, both guys, we're all come from the same backgrounds, basically, but... Uh, getting on the ice, it was it was all about the competition and bring your best game. Yeah. So you talked, uh, you mentioned Al Arbor. You've got into coaching. Um, wh- what did you bring from having Al Bar- Arbor as your coach winning Stanley Cups? What did you take from him that you kind of use for yourself as a coach in the NHL? 
God, that, you know, like I, I, I probably reflected out quite a bit on, the, you know, just, just bringing a, a sense of fairness. I think that's the biggest thing. Honesty was another thing I really prided myself on, making sure that the players, you know, you don't want it. You can't fool the players. We all know as players, the worst, the worst thing that a coach can do is, is lie to you or, or feel like you're getting not the truth. And sometimes they kind of like water water it down a little bit so they, they didn't want to hurt it, your feeling. Or we can all deal with the truth. And I think that I really prided myself on that, uh, you know, preparation, you know, just being uh, calm, stoic, don't, don't overreact, you know, keep, keep the, uh, keep the calm on the bench, poise, all that stuff. I think those are things I tried to pride myself in, whether I was assistant coach or coach, make sure the guys are ready, prepared, like well-prepared and uh, you know, so that they knew, you know, the coach cares, the coach is ready, we'll be ready. And I think that's kind of reflects on, on, on who you are. And uh, I think it reflects well on, who I was coached by because Al Arbor was one coach. I had him 15 years, Bob Johnson for a year here in Pittsburgh, who won, and then Scotty Bowman for a year. And you kind of grab a little something from everybody. And I really enjoyed like, uh, like all my coaches, you know, even going back to minor hockey and, and grabbing some stuff from them, you know, not, not so much the negative stuff, but really kind of the good stuff, the stuff that kind of sticks with you that really meant something, whether it was the disciplines, whether it was, you know, just uh, you know, remain calm. Don't don't lose don't lose your poise right now. You know, we're we're down a goal. Don't give up. All those things that that a coach can kind of kind of um, his demeanor and his uh, uh, his his bench style kind of reflects that. You can kind of tell by all the coaches at the NHL had to try to remain certain poise and calm. Other guys are a little more ranting and raving, and and their teams play like that. <laughs> and that's that's good. You know, if they if they, if they get if they get what they need to get from their team by by uh, by being demonstrative or being stoic, that's, that then they do it. And that's uh, that that makes that makes it fun for the fans. It makes it fun for the players. Yeah, Brian, you sound really good. I, I'm assuming you're a, you're in a good place in your life right now. Is there anything that you feel like uh, you have not achieved in the hockey world that you would like to do, or are you uh, you're just content with what you're doing now? Well, I really enjoy uh, the ambassador stuff. I really enjoy that because it gives me some flexibility with family. Uh, being the coach, you know, it's an 18-hour, 20-hour day on game days. It, it, I mean, you're really committed, and it's uh, it's it, it's it has its sense of uh, worth and value. And but it's long hours, and it's a commitment. I'd like to get back into uh, the game somewhere with management and uh, maybe player development, so that you're working with young young athletes again. Um, I'm always open to that. I'm just finishing my uh, my last one going through senior year in high school here in Pittsburgh. So we really kind of staying close to home this year to kind of help him through that, get him going in college. And uh, the other three kids are doing well. My son's a doctor out of Minnesota. My daughter married a Navy SEAL there in San Diego. My my youngest daughter just married a kid from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. They live in Minnesota. So we're I'd have to say like everybody's healthy. The eight grandchildren are doing well. They're all little athletes, good students, and so I've got nothing to complain about, really. But it's kind of it's the joys of life now. It's like the everyday stuff, the anticipation, the the looking forward to like the next thing that's coming around the corner. And you know, it, it, it's fun to reflect and it's fun to reminisce. And it's really kind of fun when we all get together as alumni, Ron. And and you know, because we've done some events together, and we get to tell stories and we get to share those old war stories. And people love to hear them. You know, whether it's me and you taking a face off against each other. or you know, you guys coming out on top once and, you know, you guys coming back and, you know, the it's payback and all that fun stuff. And, and those war stories are fun. And it's, you get back in that room and you go back into the identity of, 
but there's a, such a respect with our guys. I love it. And I love our, our NHL guys because of that, all our hockey guys, because there's a, there's a, just a common, uh, commonality and a, 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 just a, a decency and a respectful decency. I think that all of us share and fun, fun sharing all those, all those times with it. even though we might've never been teammates, although we were teammates for short periods of time, we did an all-star game or Canada cups. It's really kind of fun to like, uh, like, like the differences of the teams share those stories yet a lot of the similarities. So I know it's been, uh, I, I, I feel good about where I am. Uh, there's always, there's always little, little bumps and, and, and uh, hurdles we got to get over on a daily basis or here and there, but no, I'm, I'm feeling good. New hip, uh, doing well there and year and a half recovery. So yeah, no, I can, uh, I can get on the ice. I don't scoot very fast. Never did have much speed to lose anyway, but I've got, I, I enjoy getting on the ice and doing a little bit of uh, fundraising as we all do. And, uh, Again, share some more stories and pass the puck around and get a little exercise. It's all good stuff, Ron. Thanks. Brian, at one point, Stan Fischler and Al Arbor considered you better than Wayne Gretzky in the 80s after you guys won the four cups with the Islanders. Did you ever think that uh, at one point you were better than the great one? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was so fun. But you know what's really kind of interesting? Because I think they kind of backed Al into a corner. There's no player movement in those days, so I mean, he, they, they say, you know, you, you had the choice: were you going to take Gretzky or Trotsky? You know, he's like, I don't know. I I I chuckle at that because what are they going to do? Make a flip flop trade, Trotsky for Gretzky? Al Arbor says I want Gretzky. I I chuckle because there's no player movement back in those days. Um, I, I like Wayne is Wayne, and Wayne's style of hockey is, is spectacular. His records speak for himself. His, you know, his his skill and. You talk about an ambassador. He's one of the greatest ambassadors. You know, he, he talks about kids. And I'll say this about Wayne. You know, he and I are not best friends. But when we were together, it's really it's really unique. I, I really enjoy my time with Wayne because he talks about his kids like I talk about my kids. He talks about his family how I talk about my family. I really enjoy that. And he's genuine. When he talks to you, he's genuine. He listens. He cares. And uh you know, I, I've known his dad forever. It seems like, and it, that reflects well on on all of us. You know, when you're nice to me, but you're you're mean to my family and mean to my kids. Okay, you're you're not very genuine. But I I love that about Wayne and a lot of the guys in the hockey. You know, like it's uh, call Ron up and we'll say, How, how's, how's your son? He'll say, how's your son? You know, like it's really kind of neat to share those. And and that's what I really enjoy talking about. Like I get together with my Islander friend. We talk about grandkids. We talk about our kids. And how we get that, all that. And then we share some more stories. So it's uh, that's the fun part. Um, I don't never thought that it was fun winning. I always looked at myself and said, you know what, Wayne's getting his fair share of all the glory, which is well deserved. Um, we're winning some championships here. When those crews beat us in '83, I was I was madder than a hornet at them. But you know they're great champions, and if you're going to lose to somebody, lose to great guys, like really good guys, like and, and get to know those guys over the years, the Grand Pures. You know Paul Coffey's and Mark Messier's, and uh, you know we didn't like him. We because we, we, it was just respect. You know we didn't like him in the '80s, but it was just respect. It was just good battles, and then all of a sudden, like you meet them off the ice, hey, they're just normal, great guys, and they represent great championships. And I can't have to share this one story with you because, like, when they beat us in '83, they gave us a big compliment, and they go, "We want to be like you guys. We like watch the way you guys practice, watch the way you guys rip that puck around, how you like." you know, uh, uh, how fast you guys moved on the ice. And I'm like, well, that's what we did to Montreal in the late 70s. We watched how they practiced, how they conducted themselves. And so they kind of did the same thing to us that we did to Montreal. You know, like Montreal won four cups in the late 70s. We come along, win some Stanley Cups. And 
then the Oilers take over. It's just, but you kind of like steal stuff from champions. And we were thieves, in, you know, in the late seventies. They were thieves in the early eighties, and uh, you know they became uh, you know the the perennial championships. But uh, Gretzky's a unique unique kid, and he's a he's a wonderful ambassador, and uh, it's always fun to bump into him as well. But if you were on Stan Fischler's radar, you have to figure that you did something right. You know, would you ever imagine that you would be in the same conversation as Wayne Gretzky? You know, those those those, those are wonderful compliments. But the comparisons, uh, you know, I broke into the league, and um, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm on the ice against Gilbert Perot, and I'm on the ice against Guy Lafleur, and I'm in I'm in scoring races with Marcel Dion, and I'm, I'm saying to myself, "Oh my God!" As a seven, eight, nine, ten year old, if somebody came up and said are you are you going on battle on the ice with some of these greats would have been enough for me but to be sometimes compared or sometimes in the same conversation with some of the greats and i mean it's such a such an honor and uh, i have to tell you another quick story because they did this radio contest back in saskatchewan who is the greatest hockey player from the province of saskatchewan and of you know Gordie Howe's from Saskatchewan. My mom called into the radio station 40 times if she called in once. And she was still madder than a hornet. She said, you come in second to Gordie Howe. I'm so mad I called that radio station 40 times. They said every vote counts. I said, Mom, God, I came in second to Gordie Howe. That, that's like the highest honor in the whole wide world. And my mom was still mad about it. She goes, well, God, no, I, you got more. I said, Mom, I said, Gordie Howe. She goes, yeah, okay, I get it. And uh, mom's had the pleasure of, of, of talking to Gordy nose to nose. And they, it's just, it's so much fun to have those relationships and those friendships, like because of, because of hockey, you know, you bump into and become good friends with Gordy and Colleen, his family. And, you know, what a wonderful group they are. It's just, it's just a special, special time. But uh, no, those, those, those are fun. Stan's been awesome over the course of my career, you know, of course, you know, He's New York. I'm New. I was the Islanders, and you know we got to share a lot of fun stories. He's he's a history buff, and obviously you know he's he's still the Maven, and uh, we've had a friendship over the years. So I, I'd say to myself, I've been fortunate. You know, he hasn't been too critical of me over the years, but we've had uh, we've had some wonderful conversations, and he's been very very kind to me over the course of my career for sure. Hey, Brian, you have, because you played against Gordie Howe, so have I, and I think every player who's played against him has some sort of little story to tell about Gordie Howe. Do you have anything in particular that you remember playing against him on the ice? Yes. So he came into the league uh, with uh, the Hartford Whalers, and we're playing a game, and we're just so excited to get on the ice with Gordie Howe. So excited. And we've got the, one of the raspier players on our team, which was Dwayne Sutter at the time. And you know Dwayne. He's a little bit agitator, and he's kind of giving it to Gordie. And, like, you know, he's kind of, like, like bugging him a little bit. And Gordie's not paying too much attention. All of a sudden, Gordie just chopped his stick right out of his hands. And uh, now now Dwayne's screaming at the referee, hey, what did you chop this stick? And Gordie comes by the bench, and he says to our whole bench, he goes, 33 pounds of pressure. Hold on tight to that stick, boys. <laughs> and it was just like a fun message because we've all heard that a hundred times in our life. Oh, yeah, you don't want to lose your stick. That's your best. That's your best weapon on the ice, but your tool, so to speak. And uh, Gordy slashed it out of his hand, and we never stopped teasing dog about that. Hey, 33 pounds of pressure on your stick there, dog. <laughs> and it's just Gordy's way. He's a little subtle little message. He didn't elbow him in the nose. Thank goodness. He's just going to the naked. Just keep your distance. I'll hack you again if I have to. But that was Gordy. 
Well, thanks, Brian. We're going to end here. We can talk all day, all night. We have so much to talk about and share. And so thanks for coming on the show. we got to have you back because uh, the rivalry's building right now with the Islanders and Rangers, and that's what we're talking about this week. Great rivalry. Yeah, so thank, thanks for spending the time to talk with us. Ron, thanks for calling, guys. Thanks, Jake. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. That's a wrap for Episode 7 of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen. Subscribe to the show and rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at RonDuGay10. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week.